It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, welcome to Showtime with Coop Podcast. Insightful BS with my Laker teammates and some NBA legends. And in the house today is one legend that I love, uh, Mr. Bo Kimball. Bo, you know what? I don't know what was wrong with me, but when I did my background on this and started looking you up, I always thought you were from Los Angeles. But you're not. You're from Philly. <laughs> hey, man. I'm proudly from the city of brotherly love, Philadelphia. However, I do... Uh, associate LA as my second home. So we're talking 35 years of, uh, you know, have my tentacles there. So LA is definitely home as well. Well, I'm going to keep you here. I, I, we're going to get into a little bit of basketball and some other things and what you're doing in the world today. I, I, I know when I first contacted you, you told me you were comfortably retired. What is comfortably retired? Well, brother Coop, when you work hard in the game that we love, and, uh, and life after basketball uh, takes shape. You know, I'm blessed to be able to get up every day for 25 years and do what Bo Kimball want to do. And uh, so uh, now I might have some extra lumps on my head uh, through that process, but I'm just blessed to just be living my dream coop. And, uh, you know, I work hard and raising my family and uh, keeping busy, but um, probably retirement, I'm beating to Bo's drum and that's, and that's a blessing. Hey, that's the best drum you want to beat to. Uh, we're going to get into uh, your early years real quick, but I'm going to say we're we definitely going to touch on this. Uh, in 1980, we were playing the Philadelphia 76ers. Who were you rooting for, the Lakers or the Sixers? During that time, I was rooting. Uh, I'm always Philly first. Uh, let me just say <laughs> that all sports everywhere, uh, that's just the way it is. Um, but uh, I'm always rooting for L.A. second. And so, um, and, and that's just always been with the Phillies, with the, with, um, with baseball, uh, the same thing with the Sixers always with my childhood team, but a special moment, uh, Coop, as you, I think you would, uh, recognize this during the Loyola Marymount time, when you guys were, when I was at Loyola, you guys were winning two or three of your championships. So as a young player coming up and just, you know, admiring the game, loving the game and seeing you guys just working it out, you, Kareem, Magic, Byron, yourself. I mean, it was really a, just a great time for me to be able to, you know, to see and know you guys 
practicing in our gym every day, by the way, loving that, and then see you guys had the level of success that you were doing and blessed to be able to play with you guys in the summer, uh, you know, every year. So that was really a, a blessing for me. And it was a great, um, it was highly inspiring to know that the work I'm putting in, uh, when I look at your guys' cars, when I come out uh, out the gym, saying, hey, all Volkswagen, Bo. You weren't looking at my car. I had a Volkswagen. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, all I know is when the Lakers were practicing, it was a, a lot of, it was either a bus out there or a lot of Mercedes, Rolls Royce, and it was just a beautiful thing, guys. Uh, it, it, that adds to the ins, uh, inspiration to want to be pro. Who was oh, the coolest guy in the Lakers then? Who was the coolest guy in the Lakers then? The coolest guy in the Lakers? Yeah, who was just the coolest dude? Well, Magic I mean, I, I actually, I actually love the whole team, but I, you know, Magic, you know, Magic was man, you know, come on, you know, Magic had a key to the city, and but but it's, it was really everything. Lakers was, I mean, being at the yeah. forum, going to the games, whether you're at the games or watching, it was it was the thing to do. And uh, you like get into I said, the forum club as a college kid, what's that? Did you get into the forum club as a college kid. Absolutely. Oh, oh, I lived in the forum club. <laughs> yeah, that was a second. But but again, you know, it wasn't just that it was the winning. It was the excitement. I mean, that, it was right. that the Lakers right. were a big sure. deal uh, then, just as they are right now. So, Bo, we're going to jump back to Philly and we're going to get into your relationship and your friendship and the love you have with your 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 your, your longtime friend who passed away, Hank Gathers. But take us back to Philly. Tell us about Dobbs Tech High School. Yeah, Dobbins Tech. So um, so Hank Gathers and I uh, played at Dobbins together uh, in high school in Philadelphia. We, uh, I, I didn't realize, Coop, until I was my senior year that we ended up, we only lost five games in three years uh, the time of, of being on the varsity. And I didn't realize that until I'm reading the program. So, uh but it was a great experience. And uh, actually, when I left uh, Dobbins, I was trying to go to a place where actually Hank Gathers wasn't. You know, just growing up, sometimes when you got two great players, sometimes it's not enough basketballs, uh, you know. So, um, and so, but Hank Gathers signed to go to USC first, University of Southern California first. And I guess about three weeks or a month later, I ended up going to USC. We were thoroughly recruited by uh, David Spencer, who came to 18 of our games, Coop, our senior year. And um, so that was a big deal. You know, you're showing a lot of interest coming from L.A., you know, 18 times. So uh, eventually we ended up being uh, there together. We go to USC. Uh, I start all but three games at USC, uh, understand Marshall and uh, and David Spencer and Hank. I, I was on the all-freshman team, so my career is on the way. And then uh, Hank Gathers played significant uh, minutes uh, as a freshman. And uh, we, uh, we actually had the best uh, – we had the sixth best recruiting team uh, that year in the nation. Okay, we're going to get into that, but I want to stay in high school for a minute. Who, okay. best, who was the best player that you went up against growing up, either on the street or at, at Dobbins High School? Wow, the best player I played against. Um, there was a guy in my neighborhood, Woodier Playground, and his name was Leroy Choice. He was a guard. And he really reminds me, you know, we, we all know growing up is a lot of playground legends. Well, he was a legend uh, to me, Leroy Choice. So I would sit down, uh, I would be sitting watching the games, Coop, and this guy's like a, a black version of Larry Bird. Not jumping mm-hmm. high, not super fast, but I can tell you one thing, you can't stop him. He's giving you 35 a night, and he was a nightmare. 
uh, other than him, it was a guy by the name of Rico Washington, the late Rico Washington. Was a Hank Gathers type of player. I heard of him. Any, didn't shoot any jump shots. But this guy going to give you 40 a night, and he's going to just dominate you. But he, but he had that kind of Carl uh, Malone type physique. You know, so, so we had a lot of great – we had Lionel Simmons growing up, who Richardson was pretty nice. Um, but Philly basketball, man, was like – you know, in my neighborhood, my neighborhood raised me a uh, coup. I'm talking about from age 10 to 18. I'm playing like 12 hours a day. And I'm going up against guys that's 10 and 15 years older than me. And so during that 12 hours a day, by the time I got 14, 15, there was a new sheriff in town, Coop. And I knew that, look, if I can hold my own against these guys, it's bigger, better, faster, that I knew that at least when I got the ball at the end of the game, I felt from age 14, nobody could stop me. And I never gave that power back. And uh, that's just how I felt. How, how tall were you back then in high school? I was probably 6'3", uh, 6'4". So you and, got a uh, lot of height back then. See, I was short in high school. I, I didn't start growing until I got into junior college. So I was always like that frail little skinny kid. Nobody, I always got picked last. So I had to get there early to pick my own team and pick up basketball. You were just that force already, huh? Well, you know, matter of fact, I was around that six one, six two. But you know, back in the day in the playgrounds, remember, you lose a game, you're going to sit for about four or five games. <laughs> and as being the younger guy, you know, everybody's doing anything they can do to win. They're cheating, they're elbowing you, they're doing all of that stuff. Nobody wants to lose. So that whole experience by going up against the best, you know, every day, you know, eight years of that. By the time I really got to college. Um, I just had a sense of uh, a conf- inner confidence that really I had a mental advantage over a, a lot of people. And I never let people know that they didn't know what, you know, how I was raised, but growing up in North Philly, if you can, if you can make it out of North Philly uh, on the court and off the court, you can, you can handle yourself in any environment, anywhere in the world. Well, so who, are some of your, was, who are some of your mentors? Who, who are some of your mentors growing up, whether it be uh, your mom and dad, a school teacher, a gym teacher, uh, who, who are some of your mentors? The NBA season is back. Don't sit on the sidelines. Get in on the action at exclusive partner betonline.ag. Sign up today for a free account at betonline.ag and use the promo code CLNS50 to get your 50% bonus. That's 50% extra cash at sign up with code CLNS50. Get insights into all the NBA action across the season, plus all sports professions, collegiate as well as pop culture, and even reality television wagering. Don't sit on the sideline anymore. Get in on the fun, in-season action at BetOnline. Don't forget to use my special Michael Cooper promo code of CLNS50 to get a 50% sign-up bonus with your first deposit. BetOnline today at BetOnline.ag, your online sportsbook expert. Who are some of your mentors growing up, whether it be uh, your mom and dad, a school teacher, a gym teacher? Uh, who, who are some of your mentors? Yeah, my greatest two, well, my greatest three influence in life, and uh, I can live to be 200, uh, Coop, and nobody could ever outlast this three. My grandfather and grandmother was the mother and pastor of the church. And so the first 16 years of my life, I was front row doing all the services of the church. And the only way I can get out of going to church for 16 years is if I was get smart enough to hide a shoe right when it's time for everybody to leave. 
And everybody just be like, hey, we can't wait for this boy. And every once in a while, maybe, you know, once a month, I might pull that trick until my mom got smart and said, hey, you're going to church with no shoes, but you're going with us today. So that didn't work for so much. And then my mother would be the third greatest influence in my life. And the reason is every, you know, it was, a you know, that movie called Soul Food. Yeah, uh, where it, you know every Sunday and you have the dinners together, the family together. Well, we did that every every Sunday for 16 years. And when you have love and you have family and and God in your life, uh, that makes me the person I am today. And, you know, I'm very nice and open to you know I don't prejudge people, uh, but they had the greatest influence on me. I'm blessed to have uh, David Spencer, who actually recruited me uh, to go to USC. As I mentioned, he's uh executor of my will as we speak and i'm an executor of his so i was blessed that the person that i trusted at age 16 is still in my life now and hands down uh the most influential person uh outside of my family uh, is david spencer so i've had i've been blessed to have so many mentors that saw something in me coop and at when i was younger that whatever they saw in me they they would give me advice so imagine a thousand people giving you advice and no matter what comes out of their mouth, they would say, make sure you get your education, son. Get, you know, go to school, son. And I hated school, Coop. Hated school with a passion. But thank God I woke up before it was too late. And all of, I feel like my neighborhood and all the people that saw greatness in me allowed me to be the person I am, the way I talk, the way I dress, the way I conduct myself. That's an extension of all the people that had their hand on my life, even uh, many of them have uh, God has called on, but, you know, I, I'm in a reflection of them. Hey, you listen to the Showtime with Coop podcast. We got Bo Kimball in here. And Bo, you know what? That's what I always say about today's youth is that, it, that people are, until this pandemic hit, people were so engulfed into their everyday life is that they forgot about the church. And I never want to push my religion on anyone, but I'm like you. I went to church until the day I was born, and the only time I did not go to church is when I went to college, because I went to church three times a day. My family was very religious, so that's good to hear uh, that side of you, because a lot of people need to hear that, because I think that's lost in our family values. Uh, Bo, who taught you the fundamentals of the game? Actually, Coop, uh, back to Woodier Playground. It was a, it was a comp- First of all, Woodier Playground and the older people I was playing against, I self-taught myself because it was survival and the love of the game and, and just loving playing basketball. And then we had the Sunny Hill League <laughs> in Philadelphia. And it was Sunny Hill League. You have everyone from the suburbs, all, everybody in the city, and you, you're playing against the, be- the best in the city, older, you know, the whole gamut. So you got to come up through that, through that levels of great players. Uh, and we're talking about playground legends cool so and, and Bo, Bo, before you keep going let, let me all right do you know who sunny hill is yeah i've heard the name before okay sunny hill was a flamboyant guy that used to wear these big old hat <laughs> and fancy suit. Too, but you know what <laughs> loved basketball and loved his players yeah and and sunny sharp as a nail and uh you know with the nice suits and the hats and all that stuff but sunny really allowed guys like myself not only to play in his league locally but he had a traveling team and we would go to DC, go to New York. Um, and so we were playing against, you know, other people outside the state in Virginia. So that was a great experience too, coming up through that. So that journey coop. And as I've mentored kids today and, and try to look back on like, what was I thinking when I was 14, when I 
put on this new sheriff badge on the court. What, how many hours was I playing? You know, how did I stay away from, you know, how basketball saved me away from people that was some of my friends that wasn't doing what they, they probably wasn't dedicated to school, probably didn't want to get an education. You know, how do you navigate through those forces basketball kind of and, and going up against stronger, bigger, better, faster people every day is how I got my skill set, to be quite honest. And uh, and I self-taught myself just by uh, playing on the court. There's a game called, uh, it was called Rough Outs. And I don't know what they call it on the West Coast. But you're going up as you against whatever amount of players in the t- that's on the court. And you're playing to 35. So, you know, it's two when you get the, the two points that you score. And then you get three chances at the line. You come off and you, you, you play against everybody. So scoring on two and three guys was pretty easy for me. Because many times... When you got the more, the higher you get to 35, you got four or five guys on you. And I used to win the game all, I mean, like 85, 90% of the time, Coop, I'm winning the game. So you learn how to just shoot with people hanging on you. So all of those things was just me living on the court for 12 hours a day for eight years. Well, we're talking to Bo Kimball, the Philly phenom, was beating four or five players and, uh, <laughs> at one game. So all that. So, Bo, you finished up at Dobbins High School, and now you're being recruited. And you get recruited by USC, okay? Uh, you, you're part of that freshman four class that was supposed to be this elite class with yourself, Hank Gathers, Tom Lewis. That's the guy from Martyr Day. Tom's a big, big dude, man. And yep. Rich Grundy. Yep. Uh, how did that all work out for you guys? So, uh, again, you know, that experience of coming from, you know, North Philadelphia, coming to the West Coast. Uh, Tom Lewis was – the big story, you know, and, and David Spencer used to tell us, Hey, you, he used to tell uh, Stan Morrison all the time. I know you love Tom and Tom is great, but wait until you see the Philly boys, Hank and Bo, you know, we just were, came with the, you know, more physical urban uh, city type of play. Um, and as you know, you know, Hank was very physical. I w- I had a finesse and physical game, but mentally coming with a uh, USC, we had a nice strong nucleus of four players, we had uh, our freshman year at USC, we had Derek Dow. We had the late Larry Friend, who was our point guard. So we had, a, you know, that success that year. Uh, you know, if they didn't fire Stan Morrison and, and David Spencer, the AD knew that if he didn't get rid of them now, we were going to be a, a really, really amazing team the next three or four years. So unfortunately, uh, they fired Stan Morrison and David Spencer. And uh, so uh, there was a big to-do about, are we staying? Are we leaving? So a night before we get our letter, so by the way, it's all over the paper. What are they going to do? Are they staying? Are they going? So this is like two weeks or one week before finals. So I, I'm like, look, I don't, I'm not making any decision on anything because if I don't pass these finals, I'm not going anywhere. I'm not able to stay here, and I can't move on to go somewhere else. So Hank and I have an argument at a restaurant the night before. And Hanks, we didn't go to we didn't go to USC together. Hank signed first, uh-huh. and so like I said, I was trying to go somewhere else. But so we we didn't argue, but it was a really heated dinner. And the bottom line is, Hank was really pissed because I had told him, "Man, I'm out of here." When I met with George, when I met with George Ravlin, he kept calling me Bo. I mean, he kept calling me Hank. So uh-huh. I knew I knew when he was meeting with Hank, he kept calling Hank Bo. So I'm thinking like, I'm a people person. So I'm thinking like, eh, this is not going to work. I've start like I said, I started all but three games on or off, on the pack, 
you know, the Pac-10 freshman team, you should know who I am. I, you know, come on, come on now. So, um, so that just didn't sit well with me. The next day, Hank says to me, did you get your letter? I'm like, man, what you talking about? So Hank got a letter saying that if we didn't decide immediately that our scholarships wasn't going to be renewed. I didn't give let, a- let me interrupt you for a second, Bo, because Coach Raveling came in and, uh-huh. I, and I was reading up on this and I thought he made a very insensitive comment because when he came in, this is something he said about you guys. You can't let the Indians run the reservation. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, no, you don't. So when he said that, I mean, did that have some kind of uh, decision for you leaving then? No, actually, to be quite honest, um, I really like George Ravlin. I wasn't happy about the initial change, obviously. Mm-hmm. But, I, you know, he was a black coach. He was from Philadelphia. Yeah. So I, I was kind of open to giving him the benefit of the doubt. But then he, the thing that kind of uh, didn't sit well with me much, and I understood it from a coaching standpoint, well, first of all, I mentioned the name, the, the, not under, not getting our names right. But he also said, you know, it was a lot of talk in the press about him bringing some of the Iowa guys out here. Now, I know I could hold my own, but he said, hey, you know, everybody's going to have to earn a position again. But again, as a young guy made off Pat 10 team, you know, I'm thinking, hey, well, you know, rather I got to earn it again or rather you, I'm getting it. I'm feeling like, hey, you know, that's that didn't, I didn't like that decision as well. And then, um, and, but more importantly, um, even though I like George as a person, it just, as a people person, he was sitting back in the chair, man, like he, Al Pacino, man, you know, like it, it just, I, it just all the, it just, and, he, and I'm sure he probably didn't mean to do that, but all the signals that I was looking for just wasn't lined up. And so, um, and, but again, you know, the best thing that ever could happen it's for us to go to Loyola because we didn't want to leave USC. We love USC. Oh my God, we did. But um, we just had to make that move. And uh, so Hank's looking like he lost his, his, his dog and he's all sad and stuff with the letter. And I'm like, man, what's up, man? What, what are you talking about? <laughs> you get your letter, like what letter? So, but obviously we, he, they were recommending that if we didn't make a decision immediately that they were going to not renew our scholarships. And it didn't matter to me because I was mentally gone. The night before I told him, after I met with George, I, I just wanted to I change. I was recruited by everybody, man. So I, I had options and I was going to, uh, you know, explore them. But we're at the point of our show where it's called Coop's Lightning Round. Hey, fellas, let's talk about something we can all use more of right now. Sex. And I mean great sex. Guys, now you can increase your performance and get that extra confidence in bed. Listen up. BlueChew.com, that's blue, like the color blue. BlueChew brings you the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach, so you can be ready whenever she wants that time to happen. BlueChew is made in the U.S. It's prescribed online by licensed physicians, so you don't have to go to the doctor or wait in those tedious long lines. It's even cheaper than a pharmacy, and they prepare and ship it right to you in a discreet package. No awkwardness, and you don't even have to leave the house. If you could benefit from more confidence when it counts, Blue Chew is a fast and easy way to enhance your performance. Right now, we got a special deal for our listeners. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first shipment free when you use our special promo code SHOWTIME. Just pay $5. Again, that's B-L-U-E-CHEW.com. 
promo code SHOWTIME to try it free. Blue Chew is the better, cheaper choice, and we thank our sponsor, Blue Chew, for this podcast. And remember, when you support our sponsors, you can help make this podcast possible. So please be sure to use our promo code SHOWTIME at BlueChew.com. That's SHOWTIME at BlueChew.com. And stay ready. Hey, that's Bo Kimbo. You listen to Showtime with Coop Podcast, and we got Bo in the house. Bo, we're at the point of our show where it's called Coop's Lightning Round. I'm okay. going to give you some names, and you just give me a little bit about, about that person, okay? Okay. First person, Wes Leonard. Wes Leonard. Oh, my God. Wes Leonard? Was, I know three <laughs> Wes Leonard's. So which Westland are you referring to? Three. Hey, let's let's go to the next one, Bo. Okay. Stan, Stan Morrison. Great person, great coach, great motivator, um, and a great X and O guy. Harriet Tubman. Charles Blazer. Uh, great leader uh, to follow and an impact on our society today. And people need to read up on our history. George Raveling. Great guy, great coach, uh, innovator. I uh, love the fact he's working with Nike and uh, or one of the, the pro, um, one of the uh, the sneaker teams and have a great respect for him as a coach. Paul Westhead. Best coach ever. Uh, best coach in the life for me and uh, players like Hank Gathers. And hopefully one day I get the chance to be a coach in Division One and run the system. Uh, the late great black activist Medgar Evers. I'm sorry, I don't know who that is. I apologize. You got to read up on him, Bo. Come on now. I heard the name, but I do not know anything about it. Apologize. Medgar Evers, black activist, got assassinated. And last but not least, your friend, and we're going to get more into him, the late great Hank Gathers. Oh my God. Uh, determined, uh, great guy comedian the funniest guy you could ever imagine being around um killer instinct smart witty and um an icon and a leader so you guys leave usc and you find your way to loyola marymount what was that like the new environment and the run that you guys made through that well, Coop, you know, leaving USC, most people give a right arm to get in, and we just bounce and go to Loyola. But we saw the tape that uh, Paul Westhead uh, showed us, and it looked like it was an edit, but it wasn't. And uh, when he showed that tape, Coop, I can tell you that I'm looking at the tape, and I'm saying, Coach, that looked like an edit. And he said, no, it's not an edit. And I'm thinking, Coop, they ran up and down the court 11 times, and you ran in the system, so you already know – you know, what, what that's like. But he was encouraging us. They ran 15 times up the court without, you know, a timeout. And he's like, this is the way you're going to play when you come here. Now, remember, the mindset of the 15, 16-year-old who knows that he can't be stopped in an offense like this, I'm thinking there's no place in the world that I'd rather be because I already knew that in that type of system, the sky is the limit for me and my chances of going to the NBA – uh, is is going, you know, this is a great opportunity. Uh, even though it was a smaller school, we were blessed to put them on the mat. And I know Hank was thinking like, oh man, you know, these guys will be shooting a hundred times a game. 
Well, Hank's coming down the court in four seconds, getting every shot we miss. He's rebounding against guards, putting in the loose change. And, but he also had the freedom to not only get a rebound if the guard wasn't available, he, with his skills, he was able to go coast to coast. We never had to worry about missing five or six shots in a row. Um, you know, our whole system was geared on all of our shooters. If I'm open 20 times in a row, Coop, the ball's going up 20 times in a row with no hesitation, <laughs> not just me, but all the shooters. When Hank got the ball in the paint, it was up to Hank with two guys on him. If he wanted to pass, that's on him. But you know, it, it wasn't encouraged to pass if you had a, a, you know, a shot that you can make. But for us, for our skill set coming from Philly, with the great role players that we had, Jeff Fryer, Tom Peabody, Chris Knight, all of the guys that we, we believed in what we were doing. We believed in the system. And we felt that if, as long as we run our system, that we were capable of beating anybody. And unfortunately, when Hank died, you know, our team, you know, we missed about um, we we played about four or five games for about a month when Hank fainted the first time. And we were able to beat uh, Oregon State up in Oregon State. We had a close game against uh, Oklahoma. I scored 50 points or more five games in a row when Hank wasn't on the court. But, you know, because I got extra touches. So, but we felt through that time early in the year that we would be able to at least hold on. And we felt that we still can beat teams uh, with Hank Gathers uh, not on the court. But I, I humbly feel that if we ha- uh, had Hank, if Hank was alive, with us averaging 125 points a game, we would have been national champs. And going up against UNLV for the second time, they wouldn't have been able to call a fake bomb threat in Vegas like they did to stop a 28-4 to run. And then when we, if Hank was alive in the tournament, you would have been down by 20 because they averaged 105 and we averaged 125. Now, for our listeners, Hank gathers 6'7", six, 6'8", six, probably at that time one of the most dominating college players in the game. Uh, Hank could shoot the 15-foot jumper, but his forte was he was a beast on them boards, man. And, and you know, uh, Bo, I was watching the game and I remember after, I think it was a, 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 a inbounds or it was a free throw, but I remember him stumbling across the court and uh, he just fell. And I mean, that shocked so many people who got at you guys' home court. What was going through your mind when you saw that? Now that you mentioned that he had passed out a little bit before, a couple of games before, he gets back out on the court, the doctors clear him, and it ended up him having an enlarged heart. Uh, but when that happened, what was running through your mind? Cause that's your friend laying on the ground. And then what was going through the team's mind? Yeah. So, you know, people that knew Hank, particularly our team, you know, Hank was like the strongest man in the world, like just personality wise, physique wise. I mean, Hank was a beast, as you said, like very tough in the paint. And I love sharing this story to just put it in perspective coming out of Philadelphia. So remember, we felt that even if we plan against people that's bigger, faster and better, we feel that we're still going to beat you. We're still going to outplay you, but more importantly, we're going to hold our own. Against the best Hank Gathers on the court story I could share with people. We know how dominant Shaquille O'Neal turned out to be in the NBA. But a younger Shaquille and a younger Hank Gathers, we played them at LSU. Shaq had Stanley Roberts, both two-footers, I mean, both seven-footers, mm-hmm. going, and Hank Gathers, 6'6", six, six, going up against those two. Hank got the first seven shots blocked against those two he walked off the court in overtime 
with 48 points and 18 rebounds <laughs> on against those two Shaq and Stanley Roberts. So to put it in perspective, every NBA team was there to see that game because they wanted to see if Hank could play against, you know, older, stronger players in the NBA. Well, that put that doubt to bed. And that's, I love sharing that story because it just tells you the kind, when you say beast, it just lets you know the level of determination and, um, and drive that Hank had, knowing that everybody's there to see him play, that we're not going to quit until the, until the game time. So when Hank fell the first time, you know, um, that was the first time being aware of any kind of heart situation at all. And uh, in hindsight, when I look at the second time that he fell, you know, I wish that I knew that uh, they had a defibrillator on the team because I'm now a CPR instructor. Mm-hmm. And uh, I didn't even know we had a defibrillator. So it's a, it's a perfect example of in a panic, stressful situation, we had two doctors there. We had our trainer there. We had our coach there. You know, people who knew, at least three or four of them, knew that there was a defibrillator, but no one just in a panic situation, we should have got the defibrillator and revived them instead of like just doing everything but getting the defibrillator. Yeah. But I mean, you know, everybody loved Hank. Our team loved Hank. Hank was our, our spiritual leader. We were both captains of the team. Um, and I was always the, the quiet leader, lead by example. Hank was our, you know, spiritual rah-rah leader. And when Hank passed on, you know, we decided to, to go, you know, our whole team decided that we we're going to play in honor of Hank. And, uh, and I tried to tell the team, as, you know, as the captain, like, look, we love Hank, whether we win one game in this tournament, let's put our play, let our focus on not that, because we love him, whether we win or lose. Coop and AT, RT, that went in one ear and out the other, because when that ball went up, man, everybody was playing for their love of Hank. And I really thought that we were going to be able to win the entire tournament, even without Hank, because of the level of success we had. Um, be, you know, when he fainted the first mm-hmm. time. But I can tell you, Coop, we had a stronger sense of purpose our entire team through the tournament. Uh, we, I felt like for the first, all throughout the tournament, I felt like I had the energy and the strength of two people. I was yeah. jumping higher, running faster, but I know our team felt the same way. But we loved Hank and he inspired us to play, but we inspired the nation. And one of the most humbling things 30 years, 31 years later is, People still remember Hank Gathers. They still remember that fun run and gun, shoot every four seconds type of offense. And they still remember the left hand free throw. And, uh, and that's what I was going to say. Bro. Your tribute, your, that's what I was going to say. Your tribute to him was every time you shot your first free throw, you shot it left handed and you were making them. Yeah. And, and, and I can tell you, Coop, every time I see the, the I've seen it over 200 times or so. And, Every time I see it now, I can remember exactly how I felt at that moment. And it was all about the free throw shooting. Was Hank was so bad as a free throw shooter that he switched from his <laughs> right hand to his left hand. And that and was his weak link. He couldn't shoot free throws. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, as someone that played with him for 11 years, I admired that he put the effort in. And to a point senior year, he's shooting with the opposite hand. He felt more comfortable, got a little bit better. So for me personally, instead of doing what some of our teammates did, writing his name on the sneakers and things like that, I said, I'm going to shoot the first free throw left-handed. From the moment I got fouled in all three of the the tournament games, the only thing I was thinking about was Hank Gathers, love you, man, miss you, man. I was, it was almost cooped like I blocked the entire stadium and I'm literally by myself 
It's just me and Hank. That's how I felt. I remember that moment. And for me personally, I made sure I let everybody know, hey, man, look, I'm right-handed. This is the honor hand. You know, it wasn't really about making the shot. I mean, I like to make it, but yeah. it wasn't going to change my the, the spirit of what I was, the reason I was shooting the, the free throw. It was like, I love you, man. I miss you, man. And the tribute. But then, like you said, Koo, God worked in mysterious ways. And Hank, I'm sure, probably helped the spirit-wise, helped make the shot go in. I was three for three in the tournament. Let, let me ask you this, Bo. Uh, you know, Hank passes on. You go to the NBA. And then another tragic incident, almost identical to Hank, was Reggie Lewis at the Boston. I don't know if you saw that. I did. I, I was you know, fortunate to see that one, too. Um, what was going through your mind when you saw that? Here's another great player in the prime of their life, a young player that planned the game they love and to be taken down uh, with sudden cardiac arrest. I mean, it was, it was heartbreaking. And, um, and Reggie was a, you know, had already, you know, really made his mark in the league. I mean, as a young up and coming star. So unfortunately Hank Gathers didn't get that opportunity. So, but when you see that, you know, um, you had other players who, um, had that situation too. And I felt that uh, I always try to encourage people that if you have that hypertrop, um, if you have that uh, situation, a large heart, you know, is it, you might want to think twice about taking that risk because, you know, even if you, even if you walk away from the game, there's no guarantee that you, you know, you're going to, you know, get rid of the ailment or the disease, but at the same time, you might have a longer life. But, you know, God works the way he works. And, uh, it w- but I was so sad to see that that happened to Reggie Lewis because he really was a you know, great player. And, of course, it reminded me of Hank Gathers. So, Bo, you guys make that fantastic run. You make it to the Elite Eight. You ended up uh, getting beat. But, it was, I mean, the, the, it seemed like the whole country was behind you guys through that tournament there. And now you find yourself being drafted by the Los Angeles Clippers, the eighth pick in that draft. What were your expectations coming to the NBA? Well, Coop, I was super excited because I actually wanted to to stay in LA, and I knew the Clippers had the eighth pick. And um, one of the th- one of the bad choices I think we did make a lot of people didn't know is we told the other teams from one to seven that if you draft me, uh, I'm going to go to Europe. That probably wasn't <laughs> probably wasn't a, yeah, both. <laughs> a yeah, that, you know that probably wasn't a good choice. But you know, with being in LA, having the following we had with marketing. You know, we just thought that that was, you know, a decision that we made at the time. Another thing that people didn't know, Coop, is that I had a clause in my contract that we, I didn't want a long holdout. You know, a lot of players get a long holdout. So I signed the second day. But we had a clause in the contract that had, that had incentives that were so easy to get, for example, like if I average 15 minutes of playing time per game, I make 300 grand on a five-year contract. Well, the Clippers at that time with their mindset, and of course the Knicks follow suit, they did the same thing. They're looking at, oh, we're going to save 300 grand a year and we're going to make sure that he don't play over 15 minutes a game. Wow. And I I only knew that about five years ago when Elgin Bella told me about it. And I couldn't believe it. I'm like, well, how come you didn't tell me this about 25 years ago? (laughs) So it would have, you know, I would have took that clause out and I probably would have had a chance to, uh, you know, have a couple. Uh, new contracts, but um, I was very excited to, to be in LA. I was excited to play for the Clippers, um, but I didn't get a chance to play because of that that clause in the contract. And plus, here's another key point: 
1990 was the first year of the uh, collective bargaining agreement where the rookies are coming in making more than the vets. And believe me when I tell you, nobody's happy to see that, somebody who hasn't even touched the ball yet, and you come to the Clippers, and I'm the second highest paid player on the team. With the Knicks, I was the third highest paid player on the team. So that wasn't well received. So I'm coming off the pit coop, and Gary Pant giving me uh, Gary Grant is giving me nothing but ankle passes because he know if he give me a good pass, <laughs> you know he know it's, it's up and in. So, but but it was that kind of stuff. Clippers were a young team. Uh, we were very talented. We went to the playoffs uh, both year I was there. But I still overall just was very proud that my dream came true. I uh, was happy to be a Clipper and happy to be in LA with the the, the following I had in, in California. Oh, both. Coop's favorite team. Go ahead, Ari. That, that's Coop's favorite team, the Clippers. Well, my favorite team was always the Lakers, but <laughs> but they didn't have the. I said that's Coop's favorite team. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I was a diehard Laker fan, but I knew that the Clippers that's had so pick, and I was very happy. <laughs> To stay, I wanted to stay in LA because of my following with, uh, you know, in LA. So, but uh, it, it didn't most work. People out said way. if the Clippers draft me, most people said if the Clippers draft me, I'll, you know, I, I won't, I'll go play in Europe. You said the opposite. <laughs> so, Bo, listen up. You um, finish up your NBA career and you go overseas. What do you think of the NBA today? Wow. Yeah, so one of the things that uh, the younger players versus the guys like, you know, Magic, uh, you know, all of the Isaiah, you know, uh, the, the older generations, the weight, like, for example, Larry Bird would never want to be traded to the Lakers to have some two, two P or three P. It would never happen. Isaiah would never, even though Isaiah was great with, with Magic, he, you, know, he, you know, that rivalry. Same thing. You, you get what I'm saying? So that old school right. thinking right. and the, and the dedica- I think the dedication and approach to the game, I give it to our generation and older than me generation of players that just had a different approach to the game. Now, the younger generation, they're blessed to be able to, you know, follow the footsteps that you guys laid out for the, you know, the, le- the legends that are laid out with the big contracts, but they're so athletic. They're jumping out of the gym. Yep. They now have more distractions with social media and it's all about the, the, a lot of the stuff that's going on outside the game that sometimes they, I think they get distracted, but I still love the game. I know those guys love the game, but it's a lot more distractions on and off the court. And there's a lot more things that they got to worry about um, to, there's a lot more things that could, uh, a lot more pitfalls because they're so open with the social, everything you do, is, is so much more magnified because of social media and you're a, a walking target. If Bo Kimball was playing in the NBA today, what kind of money would you command? Oh man, I'd be about, about 200 million about right now. <laughs> could be, on the, be, be on the third contract, man. You know, so when I came out, I was blessed to have a, a 10 million, $11 million contract as an eighth pick. These guys now, I believe the eighth pick is around 60 million. I mean, you know, I would love to be 15, 20 years younger, you know? I would love to be 20 years younger with the mindset and the the, uh, the DNA that I have today. But, you know, again, you know, we're blessed, uh, Coop, to, to follow our dream, to have one day in the league. In your case, you played many, many years and had a long career with some championship rings, I might add, with, with the real Coop. 
So again, I just, you know, I'm proud that I was able to be inspired by people like Magic, people like Dr. J. Coming up, Dr. J was my biggest role model. And so, you know, he was, you know, just so incredible on and off the court, you know, classy guy, dress well, speak well. And I always said that if I wasn't a sociable guy, which I turned out to be, so thank God I'm good there. But if I wasn't, I was going to convert to being like Dr. J because I met him uh, in 10th grade uh, at a tuxedo place. Coop, I talked his ear off for 20 minutes. It was only him and I in the tuxedo place. And he answered every nervous question that I could think of. And wow. that experience that he gave me is, is one of the experiences that I enjoy when people come up to me 30 years later talking about Loyola this, Loyola that. Hey, I just, I'm a people person. I just love uh, being able to inspire people, but able to share my stories of, you know, what the game of basketball has done to, you know, to change my life and bless my life, you know, today. Well, Bo, listen, if you talk to Dr. J again, you ask him, why the fuck you dunk on Coop like that? (laughs) (laughs) Hey, but but Coop, to your credit, you put your arm up and got the hell out the way. (laughs) (laughs) You listen to Showtime with Coop uh, podcast. We have Bo Kimball in the house. Bo, we want to thank you so much. Uh, Before we let you get out of here, I know you got a foundation. Talk to us about it. Yeah, 44 for Life Foundation, uh, I, um, I started that in honor of Hank Gathers, but I also a guy by the name of Robert Carter. About 15 years ago, um, he died on a basketball court. I didn't know CPR. Um, and, and so I started the foundation in honor of, of those two, Hank and, uh, and Robert Carter. And uh, as a CPR instructor, we donate defibrillators, we sell defibrillators, and I'm a CPR instructor. I also do my one of my dreams is to be a, a division one head coach coop. But uh, other than the stuff that I'm doing today is I do business consulting, helping individuals and companies having access to private capital. And so um, so I've been very blessed to be living my dream on and off the court. Bo, thank you, man. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, Ari, anything? You're welcome. Coop. No, I, it, yeah, coop, you were you were you were finally prepared for an interview once. You asked the right questions. <laughs> well, it's not new to me, Bo. So I had to. I'm starting to do my homework like a day or two. Oh, no, day. You're kill- he's, it helps since it. we Coop's canceled twice it. on you. <laughs> no problem. I want to thank you guys for thinking of me, Coop. And like I said, much respect. Uh, I watched you through the years, man. Watch you do what you do best. And uh, congratulations on what you're doing now. And if anything I can do to help you guys. And by the way, uh, Coop, I'm a big time golfer. So when I get to LA, hopefully we can uh, play a few rounds together one day. Who, me? I don't play golf, man. I ain't messing oh. around with that. Okay, okay, all right, okay. But I know Byron plays, so I, I am going to get together with Byron. Stop. And I'll get you with James Worthy, too. He plays. But a quick little story about uh, Bo, A.T. When I was texting him, I just texted him and said, this is Coop. You know, uh, there's a Dwayne Cooper that went to USC, and he goes, which Coop is this? I said, man, you better recognize the one with championships. <laughs> yeah, he said, he said, no, this is the real Coop. I said, well, why didn't you say that the first time? You should say championship coup, Lakers coup. <laughs> hey, you know, we love you, man. Thank you so much, my brother. Have a wonderful day and uh, safe to your family, man. Love you too, Coop. Thanks for thinking of me, man. Take care, AT. RT. Okay. See you, both.